Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the only history podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And with me today is a guest I'm super excited about. It's Julie Holland. If you haven't heard Julie Holland's music, you're living your life wrong. How are you today, Julie? I am super, super extra psyched because I love this podcast and I'm so happy to be here. Yay! Yeah, I had a moment where I was like kind of fangirling when I realized that Julie Holland followed me on social media. Um, so our producer is the one and only Sophie Lichterman. Hi, Sophie. How are you? Hi, Magpie. I'm well. How are you? Uh, you know, life continues apace. Our audio engineer is Ian. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. So, so today we're going to talk about one of the most le- legendary gender benders in history, a prolific writer who loved drinking and fucking who's got a complicated-as-fuck childhood and a complicated-as-fuck adulthood. And I figured if she's good enough to get name-dropped in a Jolie Holland song, she's good enough for me. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, are you talking about the um, Isabel Eberhardt, the the nihilist writer? Yep. Amazing. (laughs) Talking about Isabel fucking Eberhardt. Or... Yeah, actually, I'm curious. So um, how much, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is this like, are you already like, have you written biographies about her already or just kind of like, so clearly anyone who's listening, um, one of Jolie's songs, Old Fashioned Morphine, has a line that says, if it's good enough for Isabel Eberhardt, it's good enough for me. Um, And I'm I'm kind of curious your background with Isabel Eberhardt. I think that I found a book around the house and I lived with, in a big house in San Francisco where there were a bunch of artists back before the culture of San Francisco was completely destroyed by tech bros. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good way to... I don't know whether the first pl- time I ran across Isabel Eberhardt was either through, through you and that song or whether it was through Eberhardt Press, which is a an anarchist publisher based in the Pacific Northwest that uses oh. her as a namesake. Cool. Um, but... That's who we're going to talk about today. And 
or as she was known to many of her friends and lovers, uh, Sima Khmusadi, because she uh, was Muslim and dressed as a man and had a man's identity as often as a woman's identity. And we're going to talk about a lot of how complicated and hard to map our current understandings of gender onto her life is. She's practically a saint to the middle-class European traveler vagabond who does so safely but in search of authenticity. The sort of like going out to go backpacking, you know, instead of going to college immediately sort of person. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't Isabel's thing at all. She did not embrace safety. She threw herself uncompromisingly into life, desperate for meaning and adventure. And she didn't come up on sh- short on any of those things. Well, she came up short on life, actually, in the end, but we'll get to that. And she's got more than one side to her at any given moment. She's got more than one name. She's got more than one motive, more than one set of loyalties and goals. And she's really hard to pin down. Uh, lots before I've tried, and we're going to give it a shot at pinning down Isabel Eberhardt. You excited? I'm, I'm so excited. excited. This is, yeah, I, I've i read a bit about her, and she, I think she was the first person who was raised nihilist that I learned about. And I don't know, like, how much she continued to embrace that identity. Well, that's what we're going to, a lot of what we're going to talk about is that, is that um, her parents were anarchist nihilists. um, And there's like interesting ways that that crops up throughout her life, even though that isn't her identity by the end. Um, Spoilers, she has quotes about how she's much more Muslim than she ever was uh, anarchist. Or that she's better at it, I think is the way, whatever. There's a direct quote that's somewhere in the script that you all will hear. Like a lot of the best history, Isabel Eberhardt's family background sounds like some shit that somebody made up. And honestly, like, she did really amazing shit, and so did her parents. You've got her mom, who's born Natalie Eberhardt, and she's aristocratic as fuck in Russia. The Eberhardts had been hanging out in the circles of the czars forever. And there's some stuff that I've seen. Uh, she might have been an illegitimate child with a Jewish dad, but if so, that's kept under wraps because she's in the aristocracy. And through rubbing noses with the richos, young Natalie meets her husband, who is 43 years older than her. His name is Senator General Pavel Karlovich de Murder. Murder, by the way, means murderer in German. Say that again, Margaret. Murder? No, the entire name. Senator General Pavel Karlovich de Murder. Based. Yeah. Well, he sucks, but it's a base name. Exactly. And it's like... And nowhere in any of the sources does anyone, like, point out that his name means murderer. Like, you know, it's like the Coopers, they make barrels, and the Smiths make, like, stuff with out of iron, and the murders. Anyway, so this guy is a senior advisor to the Tsar as both a senator and a general, which is really rare. He's, like, very high up. Thus, the title Senator General. His brother tutored the Tsar. He's a widower, and he marries the young Natalie, and soon he's having a bunch of kids with her. She is not happy. She's not excited about what life has to offer her, young Natalie. So she does what rich people do when they're unhappy. She retires to her country estate and spends her days riding horses and sighing and letting the servants take care of the kids. She also maybe does the unhappy rich person thing that I wish more unhappy rich people did, which was become an anarchist militant class trader. (laughs) 
And so this tutor shows up, and his name is Alexander Nikolovich Trofimovsky. And he's full of fire, and he's young. I mean, not actually. He's like more than a decade older than Natalie. But that still leaves him 31 years younger than her husband, the senator general. So, you know, like the, the bar is, well, the bar's not low. The bar's very high. <laughs> Whatever. He's really smart. He speaks Russian, French, German, Italian, Arabic, and Hebrew. And he was Armenian, probably from a Turkish and Muslim family background, though he was an Orthodox priest immediately before he became an anarchist and a nihilist. And, and this part, I'm going to be kind of curious your take on this, uh, both of you all. So he's a feminist in his way. Like, probably he's not faking this to get into her pants. And he hates the institution of marriage. For example, he left his wife and kids because marriage is bad. And I don't know why, right? It could have been this like, whoa, babe, marriage is bad for women. Like, gotta go, have fun taking care of the kids. But I actually feel more likely, based on everything else that I've learned about him, I think he had a major ideological break with his younger life and it no longer suited him or his wife to stay together and she might have cut him out of the kid's life and her life. So, because he went from orthodox priest to anarchist, orthodox priests were allowed to be married as long as they were married before their ordination. So, for whatever reason, he has left his wife and kids and now he shows up as a tutor in the house of this fabulously rich noble. And for more background for anyone who's curious, uh, we have an episode about the Russian nihilists and all the conspiracies that the anarchists were up to at the time and the nihilists were up to at the time, which is like a Venn diagram, right? Not all the anarchists are nihilists, not all the nihilists are anarchists. Uh, This man is both. He is both of these identities as far as I can tell. Alexander was part of all of it. It's possible that he found his way into tutoring the kids of the senator general as a part of a plot to kill the senator general. And this makes me very happy. And so he did fuck up the senator general's life. Whether or not he killed the senator general, no one actually knows. There's people who claim he did, and there's people who claim he didn't. He might have just been really, really good at his job. I know. I know. And like... Uh, that's, what, that's what you want. You want, you want like nobody to know yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, and and the fact that she gets raised into all of this secrecy and plotting is not only a huge part of her life, but it's a huge part of trying to untangle her life 100 years later because she was up to some shit, probably in the background of everything we're going to talk about today, but no one knows quite how much shit she was up to at what given point. And I have, like, conjectures because, of course, I do. But anyway, the way it's story... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and like you're you're in a good position to imagine about that more than other people. I have personally never been part of a plot to assassinate high up Russian uh, nobility. I wasn't insinuating that. <laughs> to, for, to be perfectly clear, I wasn't insinuating. No, that. no, I allegedly. No, but, yeah. <laughs> No, but that is actually something that I I find very um, frustrating about reading a lot of the histories is that it's clear that the histories are written by people who are excited about her as an adventurer and as like a feminist icon. And they're going to be doing certain types of work to recuperate her into certain types of ways of thinking. And also specifically, like, don't really understand. I don't totally understand anarchist nihilist politics of the 19th century, but I think I understand them better than the average historian of Isabella Eberhardt. 
And there's two ways that this could have happened, him showing up at the household. And the way it's like normally written, he shows up, him and Natalie get close, then biblically close, and then she converts to anarchism or nihilism or, you know, very few people actually talk about her mom and, and her political leanings and beliefs. Oh, yeah, that that tracks. Yeah. The like, this lady. Yeah. And, and a lot of historians are trying to take agency away from her. And are just like, I guess she got swept up by this charming priest-turned-nihilist or whatever. And it's like, I think it is just as likely that she's married to a monster who is ruling Russia and shouldn't be. And so she's like, yo, check it out. Come over here. Let's steal his kids and murder him and take all his money and give all the money to the movement. Yeah, she intimately saw the fucking sausage being made. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so whether or not she converted ahead of time and invited him or whether she converted later, she stays the entire rest of her life um, not necessarily specifically ideologically uh, a nihilist or an anarchist, but not specifically not that either, actually. Um, and she's very committed, revolution the whole time. So they're like, we can't stay here. This is not a good idea. We, are, we will eventually get caught because he is this anarchist with this like background and it's kind of amazing that he got himself in as a tutor anyway it helps that he's like smart as hell and speaks seven languages or whatever so they fuck off and in 1871 they go to geneva in switzerland which is the the cool anarchy place to be in 1871 because all the the paris communards see our episode about the paris commune that's They're a great all, episode thank you they're all taking refuge there and all the cool lefties are there and natalie's like Oh, darling, Senator General, who I'm totally not plotting to kill, I'd love to stay around and, like, watch you get old and die while oppressing everyone in the country, but I need gentler climbs for my soft, womanly immune system. So I have to go to Geneva and bring the kids and the hot tutor. That's what she does. I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but she did say it was for her health that she needed warmer climbs. She actually, her whole family is kind of sickly the entire time, including her, um, Isabel and Natalie and her father and all that. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, and how... How many kids does she have at this point? So she's starting off with three, right? She has a young Nicholas, Natalie Jr. I don't think they use Jr., but that's how I'm going to distinguish Natalie Jr. from Natalie Sr. And uh, Vladimir. So, Uh, Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, yeah. (laughs) So they get on some trains, and they get the fuck out of the country. Which is good because the Tsar's secret police were like probably just about to be like, wait a second, this tutor is an anarchist. And then nine months later, after she leaves, Natalie has another kid. His name's Augustus, Augustine. The general comes down to Geneva and is like trying to beg her back. It's like, babe, please come home. And she's like, no, but do you want to you wanna accept this kid as, as your kid and not your bastard? And the general's like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. And I think the general knows, the senator general knows that Augustine is not his, but he's like willing to give him the de murderer name. So his name is Augustine de murder. Wow. And so two years later, her aged husband died, 78 years old, and she inherits all his money. And it's possible that Alexander had him poisoned. It has been alleged, and I see no particular reason to doubt it. But also, he's 78 fucking years old. It's the 19th century. I don't know. So they're now in Geneva. They have plenty of money. And they've got all of the fucking nobility's kids with them. True to 
We don't believe in marriage form. Alexander and Natalie, they stay lovers, but they get separate apartments in different parts of town. And they spend like all of their time together, but they don't like shack up. And they spend their time doing cool, weird, secret anarchy shit. Anarchists at the time and place were obsessed with being in secret societies. So we really don't know what they did. Besides maybe kill Natalie's husband and the father of her children. Then, 1877, six years after they've moved, they have another kid, Isabel. Natalie is in her late 30s at this point. Alexander is in his early 50s. And they don't claim Isabel as, like, Alexander Trofanowski never claims any of the kids as his. It's, like, not a good idea for a lot of reasons. But they also don't tell the kids their own parentage. But he is, like, not a fucking fly-by-night father. He is very actively involved in their entire life. They move out of the city, out onto two different estates. Natalie's family money bought them both. So this is a continuing to, like, room of one's own vibe. Yeah, this is, this is such a weird childhood. I know. <laughs> she, she was not going to grow up normal. That is fair. Although some of her kids, some of the kids tried to end up normal. It kind of goes badly for everyone, honestly. Brave. That's, there's the classic, like, if you're raised in a really wild scene, you, you know, try to be really conservative. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens to about half the kids. It's kind of interesting. So they get this estate. Uh, Alexander gets really into gardening, and he just wants to spend the rest of his life setting up an anarchy commune, but no one is, like, into setting up an anarchy commune with him. So he just does it all by himself and, like, makes his kids help. And he's really into orchids and cactuses. So he's my dad. So he's my dad. <laughs> yeah. It's actually literally... He's everybody's um, dad. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, he's like, why want, Why doesn't everyone want to hang out and, like, work on cactuses with me all the time? Uh, An exact text message I've received from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so... He, and he dotes on his kids, especially his young daughter, Isabel, who didn't know that she was his daughter. I think, I think that everyone suspected and it was like, I was going to say, no, like, allegedly it. didn't know. But like, I if know. somebody's taking that much of an interest in you, you have to be somewhat aware. Yeah. And people have will make these allegations like directly, um, mm-hmm. but it'll be part of politicking to get the money back. Because it turns out you actually can't rob one of the richest and most powerful people in Russia, and steal three to four of his children and really? not have it, not have, like, continuing effects. But he tried, okay, so, so, so Alexander tried in his way to raise his daughters genderless as part of a feminist current in anarchism at the time. Uh, specifically, it wasn't about, like, keeping women safe, girls safe by dressing up as, as boys, but instead about offering them the same opportunities that are available to boys in terms of education, in terms of, like, everything else. It's basically, it's a, like, this is the, this is the, like, feminist thing we're all trying right now. So it meant cropping Isabel's hair short and her dressing as a boy. And I want to really like this guy. He's complicated and we'll never exactly know in what ways. He had the kids stayed in his walled villa, wear their hair short, except the older daughter, Natalie Jr., um, she refused to wear her hair short. And he's like, that's fine. But it's funny because in the biographies, he'd be like, this tyrant who made her cut her hair, that she like was like, no, I'm not going to. And he's like, okay. <laughs> um, so whatever. But 
We'll get to the complicated there in a second. And made them help in the gardens. The oldest two, they're closest to their dad in the Russian aristocratic life, right? And they hated all of this. And they referred to it as slavery to be raised by this guy and um, be forced to work on cactuses and learn like six languages. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's on, on one hand, it's kind of like growing up in a cult. Yeah. So they might, they might feel that way about it because it, it, it right. definitely like isolates you from your peers. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, I don't quite know if they're being isolated from their peers. They might be. They're definitely being isolated from their original upbringing and what two of them perceive as their heritage, which is to stomp the Russian peasants into the dust. Well, it definitely isolates you from mainstream culture. Totally. Totally. But you know what else will isolate you from mainstream culture is not buying... If you want to be in a cult, don't buy these products. If reverse, you, reverse psychology market, is that what we're doing? I know, but I don't know whether my listeners actually want to be in a cult or not, so it's like hard to know which way to go. Uh-huh. It's really a toss-up. I actually think it's possible that whether or not you support the people who support this podcast, I, I actually don't think it's going to make any difference into your um, cult affiliation. So here's some advertisers. Oh, okay. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. No, it, it's it's absolutely true that there's this, like, yeah, there's this absolute tension, right? And it, and you we see it all the time. Yeah, you like, raised by hippie parents, and then you're going to reject it all, you know? Isabel and two of her siblings don't see it this way. Her two oldest siblings absolutely see it this way. And Trofimalski, Alexander, anarchy dad, he gets described as paranoid. And I wonder whether he was paranoid or if he was an anarchist conspiracy in the 19th century who was trying to overthrow state power and oppression and closely tied with people who were getting off for being that way, who had stolen three to four children from a Russian noble. But he's... Oh, yeah. He's he's in this, like, very complicated underworld. Yeah. And I can see how that would just look 
paranoid to other people. And, you know, maybe he was like protecting his family from the details. Yeah. And we'll never know. No, I know. And also, I think a bunch of the family is in on it. Isabel Eberhardt was absolutely in on it. um, And I have reason to believe his wife was in on it, uh, Natalie. But, you know, to everyone on the outside, he's not going to be like, well, the reason I'm so reclusive is because the police are after everyone I care about, you know? And they have a bunch of visitors. Like there's, and so they get something of a worldly education. Most of the visitors are other exiles, in particular Russians and Turks. And I really want to know more, but don't, about Turkish and Russian relations as relates to anarchism and nihilism at this, at this point. Because Russian means anywhere from the empire, right? Which absolutely includes large chunks of what would be considered Southwest Asia today, including Alexander's own background. Isabel grew up loving her time on Secret Dad's Anarchy Villa, and she grew up playing with animals and daydreaming and writing and learning and meeting people from around the world. Her two oldest siblings, not so much. Their dad was the right-hand man of the goddamn czar, and they wanted to get back at into, well, he's dead, but, you know, this is their heritage from their point of view. Right. And I think I remember she mm-hmm. rode a bunch of horses. Did you, did you come across that? There's like, people have talked about how she had the chance probably to ride horses, but we don't necessarily have like super crazy evidence, but yeah, almost certainly. And because horses are a huge part of her life, but I don't know whether she specifically, I didn't find, uh, one of the historians I read talked about how like, we don't know if she was a horse girl, but probably. Yeah. But we could, I, I think, okay, we'll just decide. Everyone I don't, else is, I, I don't know where I got that. I'm sorry. No, yeah. no. I mean like, Yeah. Also, like, I still haven't read everything there is to know about. There's been so much written about Isabel Hubbard from so many different positions. And it's always trying to pin her down because she's so many different people, to, depending on how you look at her. So, older siblings, they're pissed off because he makes them read banned books like Emil Zola. Older brother, Nicholas, he fucks off back to Russia. He runs away. He makes it. And he returns to the demurder family. The 15-year-old brother, Vladimir, he's torn between these two worlds. Anarchy dad's like, hey, bud, stay here. Like, grow some cactuses. And Nicholas is like, no, come home to your true heritage as nobility. And so when he's 15, he tries to run away. And Anarchy dad tracks him down, is like, talks him into coming home. And then, uncharacteristically to a modern context, the second time that the kid runs away, Anarchy dad goes to the cops and is like, my kid ran away. And the cops help track him down the kid and they, they bring him back home. After that, Vladimir lives the rest of his life on his villa, happily working with plants. Wow. Sometimes unhappily. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But He just gave, he gave up trying to go back to the Vaughn murderers. Yeah, and I, I think it's, the best I can tell, based on actually the end of uh, Vladimir's life, is that it was like, he was being really actively, like Nicholas's older brother is like, fuck you, get the fuck back here, Right. And then Anarchy Dad was maybe also being like, fuck you, get the fuck back here. I don't know. I don't know the tone of him. I know the tone of Nicholas, which was aggressive. Um, but so he was, he was torn, right? Older sister, Natalie Jr., she runs away to marry someone who has close ties to Russia who also hates Alexander. And they all start part of this like massive conspiracy, not even in like a negative way, right? Like they're like Alexander and Natalie Sr. like robbed the family of their inheritance and like, pushed it into the anarchist movement instead, right? 
And so there becomes this like massive conspiracy to like get all of that money back and also like get, and that's part of why they like want Vladimir back. I'm imagining this as like a really, really beautiful period drama. Oh, yeah. This would be so incredible. Oh, totally. The most complicated thing I know about Anarchy Dad is that Natalie Jr. said while she was making, when she ran away and as she was making her way across, she said that um, Alexander Trofimovsky propositioned her for sex and that she said no. And then also said that Alexander Trofimovsky had poisoned her dad or conspired to get her dad poisoned. And these things might be true. I have no, I like hate to doubt that kind of claim. It's entirely possible that he did that. It's just also entirely possible that she's like doing what she can to get back to Russia. But he might, but Anarchy Dad, Alexander Trofimovsky might've been a fucking creep. Like, I I don't know. Yeah, he might've been so like, like um, sexually liberated in the, you know, the creepy senses that right. people have um, had in the past. Right. It's re- We really just don't know definitively, so we can't yeah. really make a definitive claim here. No. So, but Isabel Eberhardt grew up, and her, she gets her mother's maiden name, Eberhardt, instead of Demurder, like all of her siblings are Demurder. She grows up with a love of learning languages and Islam, actually, she was reading the Quran in Arabic with her dad, whose hatred of organized religion as, a, as an anarchist was way harder against Christianity than Islam by most accounts. And of course, from his background, what we would now call Swana, Southwestern Asia, North Africa, um, but they probably called the Orient at the time. That area, Swana was more familiar and more part of their world than Europe and the West had been when, when at least dad was growing up. And so the people who are coming and visiting and stuff um, are much more from Swana or the Orient or whatever. And Anarchy Dad is rekindling his interest in his Muslim, his own Muslim background too. His atheism is tempered more and more with Islam. He starts signing his letters in traditional Muslim ways. I think that meaning uh, peace be upon you, but I don't know if he wrote in Arabic or Russian or whatever. I did. Um, it just was like, and signed it in, you know, traditional Muslim ways or whatever. And tried to look, do more work about that. He spends all of his time talking shit about Jesus Christ, uh, which is also funny and not something that a devout Muslim would necessarily do. Nah. But it is what a grouchy ex-Orthodox anarchist from a Muslim background would do. And, and I just find this really interesting that he's slipping more and more spiritualist as he, as he gets older. Well, I mean, he was already a priest, so he, he had totally. that, that like significant religious background. Totally. And it's it's hard to get away from that language, even if you are a straight up atheist. Yeah, if that's your background. Yeah, yeah, and I think that actually there's this thing that we like talk about, like the 19th century, the left uh, being very like explicitly materialist and always atheist and stuff. But even these people who are like calling themselves atheists are still actually doing religious shit all of the time, and like we we always try to deny it. But it, especially I think as people get older, um, I think that a uh, people tend to drop materialism and start engaging more with religion um, as a. Well, religion is also just like such a powerful organizing tool. Yeah. And um, it's great if you can uh, use that language to the advantage of your movement. Yeah, totally. And, and Islam at this point in the late 19th century is tending more radical, um, radical in a, a positive way as I would describe it. Um, the more uh, 
like roughly more socialisty direction. You've got this guy, his name's Jamal Adin al-Afghani, and he's an Islamic thinker and he's a leader who's trying to fight Western colonialism. And he's also trying to introduce reforms into Islam to make it more just and good. He fights for Muslim-Hindu solidarity and driving the Brits out of India. And he's just like extra cool and interesting because he wasn't drive out Western powers by becoming conservative as fuck, like say ISIS or the Taliban, you know, largely try to do now, but instead to seek political reforms that would help Islam return to its, as he would perceive it, its real roots of caring and justice, not orthodoxy and law. And to become That's super beautiful. I know. And he and he believed that this was the path to um help Islam, yeah, drive out the colonists. And this guy keeps getting kicked out of everywhere and he keeps helping plan assassinations. And it's like, no wonder this Russian anarchist guy liked him because he sounds just like the Russian anarchist. He's not an anarchist, but he preaches love and, and resistance and he gets kicked out of everywhere and he like tries to murder people and he just keeps going. You know, it's like very familiar, I think. I want to learn more about him one day. I, unfortunately, it was like a side, a side thing as I, I worked through this. In her adult life, Isabel is very much a Muslim. Uh, she holds that she never converted to Islam because she was. She says she was born a Muslim uh, with a Muslim Russian father and a Christian Russian mother, which is okay. So she's lying, but she's. But I was, she's about, also not I was lying. about to say, like, what? What did I miss? <laughs> what? I want to interject yeah. and say that the people who convert to Islam. I know of two people who just say that. They're like, mm. I didn't become an I didn't become Muslim. I realized that I was Muslim. Oh, interesting. And so mm. that is that is I don't know mm-hmm. like how codified that is in terms of you know how everybody converts to Islam, but that is absolutely what Sinead O'Connor said. Mm-hmm. And that's what another very dear friend of mine said when she converted, because that's not the language she uses, Yeah. Um, when she recognized herself as a Muslim. So that is, yeah. that's, that's important. That's an important thing to understand coming from yeah. like Christian culture as we do. No, that, that. Or Judeo-Christian. Yeah. That's interesting. And it makes some sense. And I think that ties into it, but she's also like, she's, claiming a specific existence of a specific father who's uh, a Turkish, sometimes a Muslim Russian and sometimes t- Turkish Muslim. And she's mm-hmm. making this this character up. But what's interesting is that she's like, because she doesn't officially know who her dad is, she invents this Muslim father in order to accept it. But her her father was an Armenian from a Turkish Muslim background. So it's like, she's kind of claiming the truth by lying in this like really weird way but she also is absolutely someone who's going to like take on identities and refuse to be gay kept about them (laughs) like Mm -hmm. because some of the people who like her mother later is going to more properly like sort of convert to islam but as she grows up she's like oh my god i gotta go to maghreb which is the word for the muslim parts of north africa she starts fantasizing about it in kind of classic exoticization ways. She's like, wow, that's where like the real stuff is happening, not like boring old Europe. And she's like always talking about being like the beauty of the wild Orient and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. In the meantime, she's 18, 19 years old. She's spending time in town dressed like a sailor boy. Uh, books say her dad insisted she dress like a man to go into town, but everything implies that she is 100% down with us. 
she dresses like a sailor. She goes around. She gets drunk. She hooks up with mar- a married man who's stoked about kissing a girl dressed like a boy because shit doesn't change. <laughs> On the other hand, people that she tries to flirt with are like, ew, I don't know if you're a boy or a girl or what race or nationality you are. So no, yeah, that's gross. Whenever I read about women in history who present masculine, I always run across every guy observing them, like needing to make it real clear. Either like, wow, they're so hot or like, ew, what an ugly bitch. Because nothing changes. Everything is exactly. Yeah. yeah. We need to we need to know. We need to know what their dick thought about that. Yeah. Wait till we get to the part where everyone conjectures <laughs> about Isabel Eberhardt's interest in anal sex. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a way to not get pregnant. That is the conjecture that people are making, yes. <laughs> um, so during this time, she's 18, 19 years old, she's heavily involved in anarchism in the Russian exile community. She uses her youth and disguise skills and her family connections to move about. She referred to it later as she was the secretary to the Central Council of Russian Terrorists. And she might have been... Ah! I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> she was like probably trying to impress people when she said that, but she also wasn't lying, you know? What a life. I know. Her dad was his big deal in the, like, let's kill Russian autocrats movement. She doesn't last too long in the anarchist movement, though. Overall, basically, she's like, it's too organized for me. She wants individual freedom to just do whatever she wants, not solemnly work in secret societies to make czars explode. And she wants a different sort of adventure. She wants less duty, more romance, less materialism, and more mysticism. So she starts writing at this point. I think she's been writing her whole life, but she starts publishing at this point under the name Nicholas Podolinsky. And her first part, which is interesting because it's her brother's name, Nicholas, mm-hmm. the brother that she doesn't like, but, you know, it's a generic. It's like, haha, sucker taking the name from you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, shit, there's that meme recently about, like, non-binary people or, like, trans people, how they choose to name themselves and what D&D alignment it makes them. And the chaotic evil one is steal someone else's name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. What is that coup song? That's like, I, f- I forget. It's like, I want to drink good liquor and, and fuck and start a revolution. Yeah, that is, that is her. And she's, um, she's also wants to write edgelord fiction about necrophilia, which is also a classic coup. No, probably not. Yeah, what is that? Is that, like, part of the, like, different ideas about, like, sexual liberation at the time? No, I think she's just a weird goth who wants to fuck corpses and is obsessed with death. Her first published story, when she's 18, is under the name Nicholas Podolinsky, and it's called Infernalia. And it's about a romantic and sexual attraction to the dead as a way of understanding the death urge within us all. You know, you do you, do you Isabel Eberhardt. And if you want to do you, express your individuality by buying a lifestyle that's advertised to you by the advertisers to this show. Buy into the culture of death. Yeah, this show is sponsored by the culture of death. Maybe. Sophie, can we get that that sponsorship? Isn't that just capitalism? Oh, that's true. But what if we like made it cool? Like make death good. Oh, no. I thought you're gonna I thought you're gonna say, what if we made capitalism cool? I'm like, isn't that what <laughs> isn't that this podcast? <laughs> I think that's I think that's what's happening. That's what the advertisers are trying to do, absolutely. Yeah. Well, here's the people we're talking about. P 
the advertisers. Sick. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Hi. Hello. How did you enjoy those products and or services? Usually when I listen to these podcasts, I usually just get podcasts. I get ads about other podcasts, which is pretty innocuous. What do you usually get? Yeah, I get podcasts and... um you know, people with extremely smarmy voices selling things. It's just like, it's all in the tone. Yeah, Even totally. if it's like people whose voices I like, you there's the smarminess. Yeah. Yeah. I get complaints. About smarminess? About every ad ever. Thank you for, um, thank you for taking all, all that nonsense on. Even if they like the ad, still reads <laughs> as a complaint. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think anyone's like, man, you know what's really cool is the fact that in order to do this and spend the amount of hours it takes to research one of these episodes, I need to get paid for it. And therefore, I need to get some capitalist institution to interact with me. Like, no one's yeah. like, that rules. Like, of course, the ads suck. They're ads. They're ads. And we have, they're mostly all programmatic and we have no idea what they are and have no say in it and don't have any approval or rejection on them. Yeah. The good, the goodness of potatoes is supporting us all, but we still need dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I think we I, all have dogs' mouths we need to feed. Okay. It's true. That is something yeah, we uh, determined ahead of time before. Uh, and, and dogs, dogs' dental bills. I've learned mm-hmm. I'm supposed to brush my dog's teeth. Margaret, Margaret learned so many things today. We're going to leave it at that and not tell anyone else what I've learned. <laughs> so, she's, anyway, like we were talking about Isabel Eberhardt, she's not yet 20 and she's publishing fiction. I'm going to see if I can do this smarmily. And she's publishing <laughs> translations of Russian. No, I can't. Uh, okay, so she's not yet 20. I liked that. Oh, that thanks. Was cool, that was a cool little bit. Yeah, thanks. I'm totally. Carry on. Okay. So, she's uh, publishing fiction and she's publishing translations of Russian poets and shit. Meanwhile, her older, probably full brother, Augustine, he's legally a demurder, probably Alexander's kid also. He's the black sheep. 
which is impressive. It's hard to be a black sheep in a family where one half of the family has fucked off to um, crush Russian peasantry beneath their heels. And one of the other kids is Isabel Eberhardt, like one of the most famous druggies in history. But the family fuck-up is Augustine de Moderne. How did he earn this? He just kind of like, he just got like drunk and hung out, but he didn't like do anything cool with it. Like, if you're going to okay. be like a drunk fuck up, like go adventure, I guess, is the lesson. Anarchy dad tries to get him into chemistry school, but he was more into drugs and hanging out on the street and occasionally would come home to steal money. Um, but I think the family was like not mad, just disappointed about all of this, like tried to help him out a lot. Because when I imagine Alexander, um, I don't imagine him minding the stealing. He The villa was paid for by money that he stole, you know? But Augustine, black sheep brother, her and Isabel were super close. It's possible that she was sleeping with him as a teenager. Historians like to conjecture. They corresponded a bunch and talked about, remember those kisses we stole when no one was watching. It was all very tragic and European nobility. I don't know. Whoa. Yeah. At one point, Augustine joined the French Foreign Legion. Isabel plied him for information about North Africa. Then he wanted to leave, and Alexander had to intercede on his behalf. Basically, he was like, I'm such a fuck-up, I'm going to go join the French Foreign Legion. And then, like, the French Foreign Legion had, like, a sign on the wall in the recruitment office that was like, look, you're dead now, and we're just going to decide where you die. Which is not a very positive thing for a recruitment office. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. So he's like, oh God, I think he like sobers up and he's like, oh God, what have I done? And Alexander Trofanovsky, Anarchy Dad, has to intercede on his behalf and kind of threaten to make it an international incident if the French Foreign Legion doesn't kick him out. And he doesn't show up and be like, hey, I'm a super cool nihilist. I'll blow you up if you don't let him go. Instead, he's like, that's a damn murder you got there. If you, It's going to get messy if you just, just let him go. That's a, that's a good targeted message. Yeah. So... Isabel tries to get, so Augustine gets out. Isabel tries to get him to move to Algiers or something so she can go hang out there because she really wants to go to North Africa. But instead, he just like keeps doing drugs in Switzerland. Maybe France at this point. He might have moved to Marseille at this point. I'm not sure when he moves to Marseille. So she's what like, What kind of drugs is he doing? I don't know about him. I know there's alcohol. I think it's not hashish. That's more what Isabel Eberhardt's getting really into. But I like, don't know. I would. I'm trying to like drum up what I know about like Victorian European drugs and like probably like morphine and laudanum and. Right. I don't know. I don't that, know. that stuff. Yeah. Do you know? Do you have a, a good sense of Victorian? Uh, I remember this little factoid that's just mm-hmm. like so incredible to me. And I, I will probably get this wrong, but um, this is how I learned it. That the, the man who invented the syringe, his wife was the first heroin addict. That tracks. Oh, God, yeah, I didn't mean for that pun. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. That, but that's, yeah, for well, everything you named, that sounds uh, super plausible. I, I can't think of anything else. Well, I do know that there was this, like, Victorian fad. This might have been more English. This fad for orangutan adrenaline. Good fucking God. I know, which is just, like, how can we make drugs even more Orientalist and 
involve oppressing various people in other countries? And the answer is orangutan adrenaline. Um, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. So Isabel Eberhardt, uh, she's like, fuck it. You know, I'll, I'll go myself to North Africa. And so she starts corresponding with a ton of people under a ton of different names and personas. She would have fucking loved the internet. She's writing Islamic thinkers to ask questions about faith. She's writing French soldiers in Algiers to learn about what their country is like. She's discussing, like, how to translate Russian poetry into Arabic with people, like, all over the world. Beautiful. Yeah. And so the family, like, mom and sort of dad, they've pulled off the caper of a lifetime. They've, you know, stolen the inheritance and the children, as I keep going on about. 20 years later... It looks like they might be in trouble for that. Nicholas de Mordeur, the oldest son, the one who'd run away back to Russia, it is his life's work to get revenge, which, fair, they might have killed his dad and then stolen him and, you know, whatever. Like, I'm on a side in this fight, but it's, like, fair that the other side is fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Vladimir, the middle brother, the one who had half-heartedly run away from home, he's back at the villa. And Nicholas is pleading with him, like, hey, bud, run away, join Despot family with me in Russia. And Vladimir's not sure. And then Nicholas starts sending him letters that are like, you better get out because we're going to fuck up the villa and everyone in it. And if you don't get out, you're fucked. Dang. So the whole family is like, maybe Switzerland isn't the place for us anymore. Maybe we should go somewhere else. And Isabel, she's like, Algeria, Algeria, Algeria. I'm totally obsessed with Algeria. We have to move to Algeria. So... The family moves to Algeria, at least Isabel and her mother, with uh, one brother and dad remaining behind to try and sell the villa to various cactus enthusiasts. Wow. They have trouble moving the cactus farm. Um, people, aren't, people aren't necessarily excited about buying the weird cult anarchy cactus commune. Cactuses are amazing. I mean, that's, that's the Huntington Gardens here. It's yeah. just like some crazy... Rich person's incredible cactus collection. And that rules. It's so beautiful. I I really appreciate that this is just a man with a hobby, and it matters to him as much as anything else that's going on in his life, you know? Yeah, I mean, sometimes those collections, it, it really preserves, like, the last of species. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know more about his, like... It keeps basically referring to it as like part of what's wrong with him, you know, is that he's like obsessed with this stuff, but he like spends all of his days in his hothouse with the cactuses and orchids. And I'm like, so he's clearly trying to, he's trying to do like hard gardening, <laughs> you know, he's trying to do gardening on hard mode. And I yeah, really respect super, it. It's, it was like, it was scientific at the time, but like, I mean, they were wrong about hothouses. You don't need a hothouse for orchids. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, they used to think. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, was why it was so hard. <laughs> right, that's part of it. Sophie, is that an orchid? Is that an orchid from your dad? The behind me. Behind me. Yeah. Well, there aren't any orchids down here, but it is hard to tell what things are behind me. But there are several. I, I I do have several dad orchids upstairs. <laughs> I'm I'm the. I'm the person in my circle of friends who gets all the orchids that nobody wants to to fuck with. 
Yeah. No, that's my dad. That's like his main thing is like, <laughs> look, this orchid that hasn't been showing you anything for 7,000 years. Look at the bloom. <laughs> and that's great for him. That's really, really sweet. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I only have one orchid right now, but it's, uh, it has three stalks instead of the two that it had last year. So I'm really excited. That's awesome. And not easy to do. As I've been told by my dad. I think it's pretty easy <laughs> if you just know what to do. They just like to be ignored Ooh, I'm going to be lot. like, oh, that thing you brag about hurt. It was easy. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe get out of the hothouse. Uh, they, yeah. They like to be ignored. Yes. They just need the right kind of lighting. And while and we're here, that myth that you're supposed to put an ice cube into orchids. No. Yeah, that sounds, I never did it because it just sounded kind of cruel. Like I wouldn't want um, a, like an ice cube on my feet. So I'm not going to stick an ice cube in my orchid. <laughs> there. So, Algeria. <laughs> um, it's in North Africa. The whole region is called Maghreb a lot of the time at this point, which is, means the West because it's the Western part of the Islamic world. Sometimes the area just called, called the Barbary Coast in the 19th century because of the Berbers and indigenous people of that region. Wow. Okay. I needed to know that. I've heard about the Barbary Coast and I didn't know what it was. I know. It sounds like re- it sounds like even more racist of a name than like something else because it sounds like a barbarian, I guess. Exactly. Well, now I like wonder, I wish I had looked up the etymology of barbarian because I wouldn't be shocked. Actually, you know what? I'm going to look up the etymology. <laughs> okay. So, I, so I just looked it up and Barbarian means people who are foreigners, basically, from uh, German and from Arabic. But it, um, it's, the etymology goes the other way. The Berbers got their name because of them being called barbarians. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, apparently. But at least that's as of a really quick internet search. And if I'm wrong, I'm terribly sorry. So does Barbary Coast mean, like, a barbarian coast? But I think they get called the Barbary Coast because of the Berber people. I think it went... Oh, okay. I think it went barbarian means any foreigner because they sound funny. And then the, Bar- the Berbers got called that. And then the coast got called that. I think. But the whole history of this area is also a lot of crazy back and forth. Because... It's the history of various empires and colonial forces conquering it and trading it back and forth. In the period we're talking about, you've got Algeria, which was first taken by the French in in 1830. But they didn't take it from the indigenous people of the region. They took it from the Ottoman Empire, sort of, who, Mm -hmm. since the 1500s, had various levels of control. And the Ottoman Empire took it from Spain, again, sort of. Spain kept trying to control Algiers to various degrees of success. Before 1302, it was largely controlled by people who were actually from there. But if you go even back further, the Romans had it. And honestly, just the history of the Mediterranean is a lot of people coming and fucking with it. Mm -hmm. I have a really beautiful Tunisian rug here, this thing with the little dog ball on it. Nice. It's, It's 120 years old and I got it off Craigslist. That's amazing. How did you know it was 120 years old? Because the dude was like a, a textiles collector that specialized in uh, North African stuff. Oh, okay. It was it was cheap. It yeah. was yeah. the light of my life at the time. <laughs> I was so happy to get it. Yeah. 
So this is the area that this family wants to move, is Algeria during French occupation. And Isabel and mom move there as the advance guard. And they're definitely doing an Orientalism here. They're not moving there in a colonial context because they're on the run from the empire they're fighting, the empire which is the reason one of them is, quote, Russian at all because of, you know, the Russian empire stealing Armenia. But it's, it's also worth noting at this point, French Algeria is not just a colonial project but an Orientalist romanticism. Napoleon III, who'd recently been in charge, had been really into the idea of how, like, he was going to kindly rule and be a good emperor to these super cool, neat savages or whatever. And Good God. Yeah. They're like, France is on, like, a gentler, kindler colonialism kick. Um, and it specifically just ties into Orientalism in some ways, like, makes, I mean, Orientalism is, like, pretty old, but it's, like, really big thing going on at this point. And after all, says Napoleon III, what is Northern Africa but basically just France interrupted by a big inland sea? And so it's like, it's a colonial project that's like meant to be kinder as in like, they're basically France as compared to like, that's the place we're just going to go rob resources from. That is um, pure it's not bullshit. Better. Yeah, no, it's, it's not in any way better. Family moves there to a city that was then called Bone and is now called Anaba. And it's the third biggest city. It's on the northeastern corner of the country. They eschew the French areas for the Arab areas, um, people they have more culturally and linguistically in common with, although I suspect they're still outsiders in these areas. Isabel continues her pseudonyms and dressing like a man. More and more, she's see Mohamed Saadi, a name that she's been using for a while at this point, but it like stops being a pen pal name and it starts being like her name when she goes about her life. And she refers to herself basically as a tomboy. She talks about her own gender in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times. It was less that she always like wanted to pass as a man, but instead it was about being socially treated as a man. And for the most part, it worked. She'd often be like mistaken for a man at first glance, but usually not for very long. And then she would reveal herself or be revealed as a woman and have the person be like, oh, okay, that's chill. I'll still just keep treating you like a man if that's what you want. And Sounds really nice. I know, I know. And we're going to talk a bit more about how all of that how she gets away with that, and a lot of it has to do with um, a lot of it has to do with being in a Muslim country in the 19th century versus being in Europe in the 19th century. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I don't know a whole lot about that that mm-hmm. sort of thing in Islamic culture, but I think about you know, as a musician, I know a little bit about Um Kalsum's life, and okay. I know that she dressed as a boy when she was out singing with her father when she was a kid. Who is this? Um Kalsum. She's mm-hmm. like one of the greatest singers in, in Arabic. Okay. Egyptian singer. Absolutely astounding. Really, really wonderful person. She, she did a lot of fundraising to try to uh, create the nation of the independent nation of Egypt through okay. her work as a as a singer and she worked with all these amazing modern poets mm-hmm. and she's the first Egyptian composer to use electric guitar in her work. Wow, cool. Uh-huh. She's absolutely astounding. Cool. Please check Um Kalsum out. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's interesting because I've I've learned mostly about 19th century conceptions of gender. Um in, in North Africa. And like, it's interesting to know how it does and doesn't relate to, to more modern conceptions, you know? And 
And so basically she goes around the city. She's fucking and drinking and smoking hashish. And she's just having a jolly good old time of being 20 years old in the big city. And she, yeah. she, yeah, yeah, she's just fucking doing her life. She makes her money writing about her experiences and the life in Algeria and selling them in, to European magazines. Meanwhile, her aging mother, Natalie de Motor, formally converts to Islam and changes her name to Fatma Manobia. She's 60 ish. Is it, is it Fatma or is it Fatima? I believe it's Fatma, but I'm, I'm not entirely certain. She's 60 ish and she's ill of health. And not long after, she dies. And she, so right before she, she dies, basically, she converts to Islam. She cuts her traitor kids, Natalie and Nicholas, the two had gone back to Russia, um, out of the will, and leaves the money to her boyfriend and the remaining radical kids, which is part of my whole, like, she has agency and is part of this massive grift to rob the Russian aristocracy that she's from, you know? Like, yeah. on her deathbed, she's like, this is still what matters to me. Well, the, I mean, the Russian aristocracy is, it's just so shocking, the kind of wealth that they amassed. And it was yeah. by slavery. It was um, completely horrific. I yeah. I was over in Russia, like, I don't know, like 2004 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and just saw like all the, some of the old palaces have been turned into museums. And it's just... It's just completely obscene. Yeah. Yeah. You don't become the the biggest empire, one of the... Yeah, it just went around robbing people. Yeah. And so, Isabel's despondent after her mother dies. And Alexander, Anarchy Dad, rushes over from Switzerland to Bone when his lifelong partner dies. And one older biographer, referencing a source that's now lost, says that Isabel told Alexander... I want to die with her. And Alexander, very much the Russian nihilist in this version of the story, pulls out a revolver and puts it on the table and says, go ahead. And handed her the choice, basically. And this makes a very dramatic statement and is very Russian nihilist, but don't do this. And I have no idea whether he did this or not. Yeah, not a good idea. No, but she she doesn't do it. She doesn't kill herself. Uh... And you know what's good for getting you out of some despondency? This isn't an ad transition. This is, an ad, this is a transition to what I actually wish I was advertising in the show. Revolution. Mahmoud gets caught up in a revolution. Revolution is in the air. It's March 1899. Muslim students are starting to get real fucking pissed at the colonial administration of their country. And Isabel is like, damn, I hope it doesn't come to violence. But if it does, and now instead of paraphrasing her, I'm going to actually quote her. If the fight becomes inevitable, I won't hesitate for a single instant because it would be cowardice. And that makes me smile. Perhaps I shall be fighting for the Muslim revolutionaries like I used to for the Russian anarchists. Although with more conviction and more real hatred against oppression, I feel now that I'm much more deeply a Muslim than I was an anarchist. And so she goes out at a demonstration and the French police attack and the crowd fights back with daggers and revolvers. And she's in it. And there's some more quotes from her. My chest was pounding and my head spinning deliciously. I saw Bolivia in front of me brandishing a truncheon. At every moment, it slashed into the surrounding police, cracking into skulls and arms raised in defense. Reba Bolivia seemed transfigured. He seemed to me to have an ineffable mystical beauty. And... Whoa. I know. I guess even better. I believe that this will mark the first person I featured on the show to fight cops by wielding a sword. (laughs) 
We did it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Took almost a year, but we got there. Did we- she did she learn like did she learn sword in like a bougie context when she was like on the family estate back in back in Russia? Or like, do we know anything about that? I don't know about how much fighting she's learned in her life. Um, I, this is there's going to be two moments in her life that I'm aware of where she like reaches for a sword and gets a sword involved in some fighty shit. But I straight up don't know. Um, she spends all of her time like drinking and hanging out with sailors, so it wouldn't put it past her. And also, she totally could have, yeah, like learned whatever the Russian arist- aristocratic fencing was. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's it's really great to hear a poet's voice from that moment, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like talking about it, like my head was spinning deliciously. So Yeah, and like, she's like, oh, my comrade looks so beautiful right now. I know, right? So her friend of, a friend of hers is surrounded by cops and she's trying, and he probably, friends probably he, is trying to hold them off with only a dagger. So she picks up a fucking sword and runs at the cops, saving her friend and cut to black. I don't know what happened. I'm so annoyed. I don't know whether she fucked up a cop or if she just scared the cops off. But by wielding a sword, she successfully defended her friend who had only a dagger against four armed police officers. And the students were outnumbered. They're driven back. A ton are arrested. She flees through the alleys. And the next day, she flees the country on a steamer to France because the colonial police are extra alert for any foreigners helping the Muslim rebels. And that's where we're going to leave it today. She's grown up a radical. She's moved to Algeria. She's stayed a radical. And when we come back, we'll get to see her more as history sees her, as a vagabond, a mystic, a writer, and one complicated as fuck figure in the history of North Africa. Plus, we get to meet her dogs. Whoa! Sophie smiled because I said dogs. I did. I smiled really big. That's exciting. <laughs> um, do we do we have anything we'd like to plug at the end here from either of you? <clears throat> Charlie, what you got going on? I have so many things going on. I'm doing a hilarious thing right now with my Patreon where I'm releasing a very sketchy recording of me playing Tom Waits covers every single Monday and I'm calling it the Waitsathon. But by the time this comes out, maybe the Waitsathon will be all done. But anyway, my Patreon is cool. And um, I have a record coming out, I don't know, the summer, the fall, who knows? It's hard to uh, figure out with vinyl production. But that record will be called Haunted Mountain. And my wonderful friend, Buck Meek, who is in the band Big Thief, is also releasing his solo record, also called Haunted Mountain because we co-wrote <laughs> a bunch of songs together. <laughs> Where can awesome. people follow you online so they can keep up with your music and other works? Thank you so much for asking. Uh, Instagram, I'm Jolie Holland Music, and uh, I think I'm the same on the Twitter. Awesome, which I awesome. I'm still at. Yeah, and Margaret, a- you have a, a a book coming out. It's true. You can still for another short moment of time, depending on when you're listening to this, pre-order my upcoming book, Escape from Insel Island, which is published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. And if you order it, it's a fun novella. If you have a short attention span, it's um, you can read it in a, an afternoon. Novella means short as fuck book uh, because I'm a writer who writes short things. And you can buy it. 
And if you buy it, you get a poster. And you can also follow me on the internet. I'm on Instagram at Margaret Killjoy and Twitter at Magpie Killjoy. What about you, Sophie? Oh, you know, at Cool Zone Media and all the things. You can find out all the things from that. Margaret, are you going to do an audiobook version of Escape from Incel Island? Yes, and I don't entirely know what the context will be of how it will be released. So I can't answer directly yet, but there will absolutely be an audio version of it. And I I consume most of my books by audio. Like, Actually, the history books I read for this book, I read while pacing around my living room while my dog mm-hmm. paces with me. It's very nice. He started pacing with me recently. That's uh, so nice. That's but, beautiful. But uh, fiction I tend to read by listening to at this point. Yeah. And we'll, so we'll be back Wednesday with part two. Woo! Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.